Why Don't You Like This? I'm Sebastian Westcott, reportive journalist and client to the stars. And I'm your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. And this is our podcast. When we first met, we thought we were basically the same person, united by a love of wimpy and vintage mugs and incense sticks and electric president. But three years in, we've realised that we have just as many differences. And that's what this podcast is. Each episode, we'll be diving into a topic, exploring why one of us likes it, and more importantly, asking the other, Why don't you like this? Ramsey's number one, he knows the secrets of desire. Ramsey's number one, he puts the people all on fire. This episode was sponsored by the foundation to get Lewis Capaldi out of the charts. It's a cause dear to both of our hearts. We both want to make pop music great again. We want to get mediocre artists out of the charts and into jail cells where they belong. See, it's a well-established fact that Lewis Capaldi is an industry plant, meaning that he has no real backstory and he's been pushed by the industry to make it big. And we just don't think that that's fair. And I'm not being funny, but his sense of humour is what really gets it to me. It's like the nail in the coffin. It's like, I get it, Lewis Capaldi, that you're shit at making music, but do you really need to make another joke about poo? It just isn't funny. Just don't take it out on us. Just let my ears not bleed for once when I'm listening to Radio 1. With your help and using the hashtags Get Capaldi Off The Charts and Lewis Capaldi Is An Industry Plant, we think we can all really make a difference. And it would just be nice to be able to go into Superdrug and actually enjoy the music they play for once rather than run out the front door bursting out with tears. When I was talking, I kept doing the, um, the OK hand sign as if someone was watching me. Uh, right, so this episode is about the Jack Black film Nacho Libre, a film that I think I'd only seen once as a child, but Molly had mentioned enjoying quite a few times. So I would say for anyone that hasn't seen Nacho Libre, the closest comparison that I can make for it is that of the movie Chef. I feel like Nacho Libre is the comedy version of the film Chef. Chef is a comedy. But it's not... I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's not why you It's not, it like, for. the main thing. Like, I feel like the main the main thing in Chef is the food. And then and then it's got underlying themes of it being a comedy. But I don't think most people are watching Chef to watch food being made. I think they're just watching it because it's a good story. Yeah, but that's I guess what I mean. it functions that's... as a drama more than anything else. What I'm saying is, the main thing in Chef is food. The main thing in Nacho Libre is, is comedy. The underlying theme in Chef is comedy. The underlying theme, or one of the underlying themes in Natural Libra, is food. Alright. So, it's vice versa, really. I don't need a massive rant about... Actually, I don't really think that's the thing. They're both set in the same place. No, they're not. Where is Natural Libra set? Mexico. Yeah, but he is Mexican. Who the main is? guy in Chef. Is he? Yeah, he's meant to be a Hispanic. No, his, his buddy is, but John Favreau's character isn't. I don't know. He's with that woman who's Hispanic. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, we'll get into it after the piano sound. I'd like to um, start this off by saying that during the little... 
Seb confessed to me that he 100% knows how to speak Spanish. Better than any Spanish person. That's not what I said. You said. I said, well, how can he speak Spanish if he's not Hispanic? When I'm pretty sure he's Hispanic. Yeah, and I said that a lot of people can speak Spanish. A lot of people can speak Spanish. I can speak Spanish. And then he proceeded to tell me one through to ten in Spanish. Just to prove to me that when I said, you're bullshitting, he actually was right. Well, did I count them wrong? I don't fucking know. I don't speak Spanish. Oh, I did GCSE Spanish. I got a B. Oh, wow. I did GCSE French and I got a C. And I have no fucking clue when someone even tells me, if someone was to tell me good evening, I would not even know. I don't know. This episode's not about Chef. It's about Nacho Libre. Um, Is Nacho Libre racist? Watching it, I didn't pick up on that. No? Did you? It, It floated through my head, the thought. The fact that it's a white actor playing a Mexican character for a white audience, consistently portraying Mexico as like a third world country. And almost all, a lot of the humour from the movie came from Jack Black's voice sounds funny when he puts on a Mexican accent. I don't know. That wasn't necessarily what I thought was funny in the movie. I think you kind of missed the point. If I, I guess. I no, funny. I mean, I feel like that was at, very, at the very least played for humour was the way he spoke. I don't think it was played for humour. I think it's hard when a white guy plays any... It's hard when any white person plays any person of colour because obviously there's always going to be people thinking, well... Are they doing it racistly? What about his portrayal of Mexico and Mexican culture? I don't... I have never been to Mexico, but that's what... From what movies and, like, TV shows and stuff, that's what I assumed Mexico was kind of like. Yeah? Like, very rural. But not all of it is. No, but this was, like... This movie was quite a few years ago, so I don't know whether it's changed recently, but I'm pretty sure... Some parts of Mexico are probably like that. Like, although England's different to that, some parts of England are run down like that. I suppose. I'm not saying necessarily is, I just wanted to float the question. No, I don't reckon it is. Do you think it... Do you you understand why the question's there, though? The question's there when any white person plays a character that's not meant to be white. I suppose it was more that he's playing a, a different nationality or different ethnicity humorously I suppose Mm, I guess but I don't know I feel like Jack Black was playing Jack Black in that movie yeah no that's fair um so my real question is what about this movie do you think is special because I didn't dislike it it was all right but I don't think it's a movie that I would remember and think about fondly 10-15 years after it was released okay so I think for me um when I was a child my dad was, like, one of the guys I kind of bigged up in my head. Yeah. Because my dad was, like, a chef. And, like, I wanted to be a chef, like, for as long as I can remember. And there were a few movies where, like, it portrayed food in such a way that it actually made me really care about food. What are some examples? Some, a really weird example, which is very strange... So in Scooby Doo's The Witch's Ghost, the Witch's Ghost one though, 
where they've got piles and piles of food. More so that one than the one with the giant sandwiches. M- more so. And also in Scooby-Doo and the Cyber Chase, where they're eating chips and they're squirting ketchup on chips. I'm thinking, that food looks absolutely delicious. But that one where the guy who's serving them is like this plump guy in Witch's yeah. Ghost, and they run out of food, that just brought such a warm feeling in me that they were eating so much that they were so happy. Any other movies or shows that inspired a love of food? Also in the film Hook. What's Hook? Is it a Peter Pan thing? Yeah. I haven't seen it. The one with Robin Williams where they're eating pretend food. Yeah, no, I've not seen it. And it's like they're eating food and there's like colours everywhere. And I remember thinking, that's really cool that food, just the colours they're associating with food. And like, it was just a really surreal moment. Alright. But Nacho Libre is one of the films where I kind of... It made me really happy that this guy's one ambition was to get good food for these orphans because he himself had been an orphan and that's what he wanted as a kid. I guess. I don't know. I didn't feel like food played that big of a role in the movie. But, so, the story follows a guy and I'm pretty sure big in Mexican culture, there's the wrestlers. Yeah, the luchadores. Yeah. I might have said that wrong, but... So he sees these guys and he sees that people are giving him stuff when they walk down the street and stuff. And he sees and he wants to be that. And he's the chef, well, he's a cook at the local, like, orphanage, like, monastery kind of thing. And then he decides that he, he, that's what his lifelong dream is to be, is to be a one of these wrestlers. Yeah. And then he pretty much wrestles to get money to provide for the orphanage. The kind of story follows him, him working his way to the top, kind of him being not a stereotypical guy to wrestle. He's a big chap. And there's just something so heartwarming about it. I don't... I don't know. To me, it didn't necessarily read the being able to provide for the children was his ultimate goal. I think it was to elevate himself to a higher station than he currently was, sort of move up in the class system. I, I where And I think that um, being able to feed the children kind of was a secondary goal, or that's at least how I read it. Well, I don't know, because he said in his speech before he went to wrestle, he said, you know, I'm going to win this, I'm going to win this so... I can buy the kids a school bus and so we can go on trips and so I can provide for them good food and stuff. So, I don't know. I reckon wrestling was just... Wrestling was the means to get stuff for the orphanage as well. I don't know. By though. doing something he loves. Like, the same with you doing illustration. By doing illustration, you're providing for for your family. I guess. So I feel like kind of one of the key moments of the movie is where it kind of pivots to him wanting to be a wrestler is when he sees Ramses and the way that Ramses garners all this respect and adoration. So that to me kind of reads that that's what he's after. And he sees that and thinks I could be adored and reach above my station as a humble orphanage chef. Yeah, maybe because he has been an orphan he kind of wants that admiration that he didn't receive as a child. Maybe, but I think that is a key sort of 
difference in the way we're reading it that I guess either downplays or sort of upholds the role of food in the movie. I think though you can't deny that food is a big part. Like even when maybe not so much in Nacho's life, but when the guy who he fights with, like his tag mate, when he the first thing he buys when they have paycheck is those corn with sour cream and paprika on. I guess, yeah. I don't know. It I just I felt like him wrestling is the same as me going to work. Like sometimes it is a bit long wounded, but my main goal is to get money from work so I can, you know, provide food for us. Yeah. Um, so is the food aspect the main sort of thing that's made the movie stick with you? I don't know. I think it's hard for a movie like that that I kind of would lump in with like dodgeball. Yeah. Kind of like sim. They came out around the same time. Sort of mid to late two thousands comedy. Which were actually quite good. Yeah. Because a lot of that wasn't very good. But there, are, yeah, there is definitely sort of a vein of higher quality ones. But also, when looking on IMDb to see sort of who played what, it's not a critically respected or even particularly well respected. You know, with it's, fans, it's got a five point. Six oh, or something yeah, on shit, that's, that's surprising. Do you think? I don't know. But I did Dodgeball have a really high... I think Dodgeball's probably got a solid seven. Hi, uh, Seb here with an editor's note. So, I just checked on IMDb, and Dodgeball actually has a 6.7, which is lower than I expected. So, for reference, White Chicks, a movie we talked about a while ago, is a 5.6. Nacho Libre is at a 5.7. Dodgeball is at a 6.7. Harold and Kumar, the movie we talked about maybe five or six episodes ago, is at a 7.1. I think for me, Nacho, I remember having it on DVD. Yeah. And I'd watch that and I'd watch Dodgeball, like, on repeat. And for me, a comedy, even now, like, comedy's probably one of my least favourite genres of movie. Yeah. And that, I just was so it was went above and beyond a comedy which I think was the same with Dodgeball like I actually cared about Vince Vaughn's character like he seemed like a nice guy who kind of has a kind of laid back vibe of not really wanting to do stuff kind of putting everything off until it becomes like a thing and I feel like you don't really get that sincereness in comedies yeah. the same way. I would say, yeah, there there was... It was, it was sincere, a very sincere comedy. Which is nice. I feel like the same with the movie Chef. Like, I don't think Chef was pretentious. Yeah, no. I think it was very humble. And I like in my music for music to be humble. I like in my movies for movies to be humble. Especially comedies. It's so hard... To find a comedy that's humble, but also, like, good. So I guess, sort of, here's where I stand with Nacho Libre. Um, by far the I best... Don't, I don't know why you're pronouncing it like that. Nacho Libre. Such a stupid pronunciation. How are you pronouncing it? Nacho Libre. Nacho Libre. It's got an E at the end. Is it Nacho Libre or Nacho Libre? Well, it's got an E at the end. Yeah, but Libre... Nacho Libre. I don't know, I've always thought of it as Nacho Libre. That's a stupid way of pronouncing it, even well, if it is right. 
the soundtrack is undeniably the best part. The soundtrack slaps. It's, the soundtrack does slap. We were listening is to it. After bang, yeah. We were listening to it in the car today. Even the weird joke song where he's sort of forced to improv it. I am singing at the party. It like turns into a pretty good song. It it's actually good. Like I would happily listen to that. Like we didn't have to skip any song on that soundtrack. I don't know. There was one as we were driving home. It's like a weird sort of almost techno song. Yeah, that didn't feel. That the one where weird. I said, what even is yeah, this? Yeah, that felt really out That of definitely wasn't on the film. I don't remember it being. Maybe it was. I don't know. Um, cinematography was good. It looked cool. I liked the way the that... The colours were nice. I liked the way that it started off very brown. And as he introduced the wrestling, the movie became progressively more colourful. But it was a weird story. I'd say it almost had the feel of like... And like a, almost like a weird indie movie, almost. Yeah, almost like a like Mighty Boosh kind of style of being really like that um, vampire movie that was. Not even that. I think the kind of indie movies you get that. Um, what like Juno? Where not a lot happens, like true indie movies, sort of almost like the mumblecore genre, where it's just a story and it doesn't feel like there's any importance to anything happening. Yeah, I think the thing with the film is it all feels quite one level. Like, yeah. it never feels like this is the biggest part of the movie. Like, it all feels like it kind of runs on one on one beat. Yeah, and I think it was just strange. It was strange for a Jack Black movie. It was strange for a comedy of the mid-2000s. It was... I didn't quite know what to make of it. it I don't know whether that was a conscious choice whether it was sort of a strange... I don't know. I think probably this was the time when, like, big indie kind of things were coming out, like Juno, 500 Days of Summer. Those aren't real indie, though. And I'm no, saying it feels like a real indie movie. I I don't know. It has the feel of Juno, like the colours, I think, specifically. Yeah. I think the thing with it is... It feels weirdly kind of ahead of its time. Like, if that came out now and was Sundance's number one thing, it would not surprise me. Yeah. I think Jack Black... I feel like it's Jack Black's Garden State. He didn't write it, though, did he? No, but I feel like him being in it as the face of it is enough to garner it as Jack Black's Garden State. A film where it's weirdly a cross between kind of being funny and also kind of being like a really cool, well-shot film. Here's another analogy I just thought of. Could you say almost that Nacho Libre to Jack Black's discography is younger now to Miley Cyrus's discography? I would say so. I would say I don't have much faith in Jack Black as a person. Like, Trinacious D was fine... The music was pretty good in Trinacious D and stuff like that. Like, the music he's produced under that kind of name has been a while. Also, are you going to have a go at me for pronouncing things when you call it Trinacious D? I'm... There's no R in I'm staying by the fact that I've probably got a list. (laughs) You know this. This happens with loads of things. I'm not being funny. That is ridiculous. Libre, or whatever you were saying. I'm... I'm just saying, I think... I would say it's more like Noah Cyrus's July. It's really out of character to what the rest of the stuff's like. There's a chance it's going to be the only one. 
yeah. like that. But that's enough to I, give him credit. Having said that, though, it also kind of reminds me of Be Kind Rewind, or at least what I remember of that movie. Oh, yeah. I guess that one... Maybe there was a weird I think pe- experimental probably. period in Jack Black's filmography that we just don't remember. No, I only really remember this. I don't even think I fully watched Be Kind Rewind. I just remember having this on DVD and having my little DVD player in my room and there being a few DVDs I'd always go back to and this would be one of them. If this was the first time you'd seen this movie, do you think you'd like it as much? I think I'd I think I'd like it solely on the base that I found it really heartwarming. Yeah. And I thought after all this time, maybe I'd bigged it up like white chicks. We'd watch it and I'd realise it's not actually very funny. But I thought it was funny. Yeah. Um, how good of a movie do you think it is? If you're speaking, like, less subjectively. I would say a comedy movie is probably not the best. It has a kind of weird indie movie that's probably not an indie movie. It's up there with Juno, I would say. Yeah. Like... I'd say 500 Days of Summer would be below this on that kind of weird scale. I'd say Garden State would be behind that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I just... I don't know how to feel about this movie. I think it was strange and also it wasn't that good. And if we weren't watching it for the podcast, I don't think I ever would have watched it again in my life. Um, And it's certainly not a movie that I would recall 15 years after it had come out but i think sometimes watching something or watching something back from when you were a kid if something sticks with you it sticks with you and i feel like nacho libra is going to be one of those films that i'm probably going to talk about 50 years from now reminiscing on the good old days when that was a film and times were much easier and life was much you know kinder what other things do you think sort of share that same property? Things that you remember from your youth and that's enough for you to bring them into your current life? I think Chef. Yeah. Even though that's not majorly from my youth. I reckon, like, all the Scooby-Doo movies that yeah. I watched as a kid. Maybe Gavin and Stacey when that first came out because I remember thinking, oh, this is kind of similar to what my family's like. Yeah. And even though... I probably would watch it now and think it's not that good. It does have a. I would still stand up for it, even watching it and thinking it's not very good. I never, I never watched Gavin and Stacey, and any time I happened to see a clip of it, it didn't even feel like I was watching a comedy. It's like a weird, surreal kind of. Yeah, I don't know. Look into we a watched la- a Christmas special as well, and I still wasn't into it. I'd say the Iron Giant is up there. Yeah. Like, and Drop Dead Fred. I'd say the Iron Giant though. I it kind of the stands Iron out Giant from the others as incredible. being legitimate, legitimately very good. Yeah, but it's gone down in history as one of the films that no one really talks about. I don't know because I know people that feel really passionate about it. You know, one person that feels really passionate. Yeah, who about has it. is passionate enough about it to have a tattoo based on the Iron Giant. I know, but I think he's a bit of a... um, I guess. I don't know. I feel like... I've never spoken to someone and they fully had a conversation with what the Iron Giant is to me. I feel... I don't know. I feel like the Iron Giant is fairly well respected, if not absolutely 
remembered by everyone. I'm. I, it would never come up in conversation with anyone, I don't think. Maybe. If you were to talk at work about some films kids remember from their childhood, I don't think one single person would pick Iron Giant out of a list of movies. Maybe, I don't know. I... I remember, I legit, The Iron Giant was my jam. I had it on video. I had it on DVD. I've even had it on DVD before I got with Seb. Would you say sort of the common thread amongst all the all the films and shows and things you just mentioned is that none of them are considered to be great? I don't, I don't know. I feel like Drop Dead Fred, people know Drop Dead Fred. I'd never seen Drop Dead Fred before. No, but... I think the thing is, my childhood was quite weird, like, I had a bit of a mix-mash childhood. I kind of was in between having to grow up really quickly and, like, not really having a great childhood that I remember. And I think... Do you think that's why you cling to the media? Because the media can never change. I think so. Because I feel like, with me... The one thing that I'll always talk about is movies. And that's always been my thing. Like, Scooby-Doo especially. I don't know, it's something in me that just really is passionate about Scooby-Doo because, you know, I didn't have, like, chance in my childhood to kind of feel like I was just a child rather than having to grow up quick. Like, I don't know. With Scooby-Doo especially, I find... I've got a very sentimental attachment to it. Like, I've got a Scooby-Doo tattoo. Yeah. And I've got two Scooby-Doo tattoos. Well, I've got one good Scooby-Doo tattoo and then one really bad zoinks on my finger. Um, So, quick detour. My last... Was it my birthday or Christmas? Christmas? Uh, Last Christmas, Molly bought me a tattoo gun from eBay. Tattoo machine, I should say, because... People get weirdly offended if you say tattoo gun. We've messed around with it a little bit. I have Martin Prince on my ankle. I've also got the words, nice one idiot, tattooed on my arm. Which also, I found that I've had to explain that tattoo a lot recently. People don't get it. Yeah, I guess it's quite a surreal joke. I guess. I feel like it's a joke of the medium is the message. I'm calling myself an idiot and tattooing myself, calling myself an idiot. But I don't know if they'd necessarily know that you tattooed that. I guess. Um, and one that Molly has is the word zoinks tattooed across her middle finger. I also have a told slant tattoo on my leg, which everyone is convinced is a Christmas tree, but I will get really offended if you call it a Christmas tree, even though I love Christmas. It's not a fucking Christmas tree. Looks a bit like a Christmas tree. And I've also got our first two car number plates on my leg. Oh, yeah. Which I personally think is one of the best tattoos I've got. I think the message behind that tattoo is pretty good. Um, so why do you think Scooby-Doo out of all of them is the one that you hold in such high regard? Because although you've said, you know, this and Dodgeball and whatever else, Scooby-Doo is the only sort of really consistently one that comes up all the time. Yeah, I think maybe. Maybe if, like... The Iron Giant was bigger into pop culture and stuff. And, like, it was something that you could just... You could buy, like, anything with the Iron Giant on. Maybe I would have stuck with that. But I think because Scooby-Doo is so easy accessible, I've got a fucking water bottle on our sofa, Scooby-Doo. Got a huggle of Scooby-Doo. 
got, I see, at least two plush Scooby-Doo toys. Yeah, and, like, there's just so many things that have Scooby-Doo on. It's, like, an icon like Bart Simpson is. Yeah. And I think what's quite nice about Scooby-Doo is there there is a sense of community. People do really like the Scooby-Doo movies. Like, people, like, loads of people have tattoos of Scooby-Doo. I'd say the one tattoo that I probably get the most comments on is my Scooby-Doo Mystery Machine tattoo. Yeah, so do you think it's just a case of out of all the things that happens to be the biggest in culture? Yeah, I reckon so. I reckon it. I see it, I probably saw it around so much that it was one thing that I felt like I could talk about with people and they would definitely know what it was. Yeah. I don't have very many movie-based memories from when I was growing up. I remember watching Toy Story, which I think we taped off the TV... Um, I remember watching Star Wars quite a bit, the original trilogy. And then, I don't know, there's all these movies that I know that I saw but I have no real memory of, like Nacho Libre and Over the Hedge and Chicken Little. The one thing I do think of, though, a lot is um, the cartoons I used to watch on Cartoon Network. It was um, particularly The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. I think about it all the time. And I always would love to revisit it, but it just never comes up and... Maybe if I revisited it, it wouldn't be as good. Kids Next Door as well is another good one. Ed, Ed and Eddie. I got quite a sentimental attachment to those, but I don't think in the same way that you do to the things from your past. And I think even more than just, like, episodes, like, it was the main feature films that got me hooked. Like, I'm not going to lie, I've probably had every medium of having Scooby-Doo DVDs. I remember having them all on video when I was a kid. I remember my mum donated them behind my back and I was literally heartbroken because I knew they were going to be fucking collectibles and she took them. I was so pissed off. Cause she's like, oh, we don't need them anymore because we don't have a v- video player. I was like, doesn't mean that I won't want them down the line. <laughs> and then I remember one birthday I asked my dad, probably when I was about 12 or 13, I remember asking my dad can you please buy me all the video videos of Scooby-Doo that I had when I was a kid because mum threw away all my videos. So I wanted the DVDs of the videos I missed. And then somehow between that and present, I think my brother and sister kind of like got my DVDs because they were at my dad's. So I think they kind of like had them as their own. Kind of inherited Scooby-Doo into their lives. Yeah, and then... I kind of have started rebuying them. I've got one copy of Scooby-Doo that I'm pretty sure is from, like, Australia or something. I mean, on the shelf there I can see Witch's Ghost, Monster of Mexico, the first live-action movie, Cyber Chase and Alien Invaders. And I do really want to get Scooby-Doo 2 because I think both the actual Scooby-Doo live-action movies... I'm not going to lie with you, I think they're two of the best live-action movies I've ever seen. Everything, when it gets turned from, like, cartoon or TV show to live-action, even, like, in-betweeners, when it got a film... Yeah, the film kind of sucked. The film was shit. Scooby-Doo, I'm not even joking to you, they are both so... They are what you would call in the business slapping. They are absolutely legendary. We're talking about the one where they go to Spooky Island or whatever it is, Mystery Island. Yeah. The one with Mr Bean in it, which is really weird. 
and the one where they've got that exhibit and there's the pterodactyl. And Seb also asked me, because we saw a Kanye slash Scooby-Doo meme that get, that was them dressed in those big body suits. Yeah, saying, the, um Lil Pump and Kanye song. I'm sick, fuck, I think Coolville sucks. And he was like, what's Coolsville? I was like, are you actually joking? And then I was like, yeah, it's in, in the Scooby-Doo movies where Fred goes he talks to the media and he goes no I don't want to talk to you you're probably gonna take what I say and make it sound like I think Coolville sucks and I remember they like snip it so so it's just Fred on repeat going I think Coolville sucks and I remember thinking that is the funniest thing ever and now I'm watching it back and I'm thinking that's actually a really clever message about the media yeah. Like, really kind of underlying that I would never notice as a kid. Um, so I've just realised it's been about ten minutes since we stopped talking about Nacho Libre. So I think here's a good point to take a break. And then when we come back, I'd like to talk about our relationships with food, the way that food in the movie inspired you, and a new food-based experience I tried for the first and probably last time today. So today, probably about... How long ago was it? About an hour, hour and a half ago? Maybe two hours? Yeah, so about half three, four-ish. Um, for the first and hopefully last time in my life, I tried a, a fillet of fish from McDonald's. Um, do you want to describe what a fillet of fish is? Okay, so pretty much it's like a big fish. It's a big, big cod finger, but it's a, in the shape of a square amongst two really soft buns it's got a slice of cheese in there and it's got like a really nice tartar sauce on top why the hell is it square well i me and seb were arguing about this because i said it'd be fucking gross if there was a shape the fish was in the shape of a burger yeah but fishes aren't square anyway no so just make it fit the burger fish cakes are round yeah but fish fingers are rectangular so and i think it's meant to be like yeah but that's to make them look like a finger yeah but i think they're taking that premise and kind of like making it the similar like a similar shape i think it's probably to differentiate that it isn't meat maybe like it isn't a chicken burger i also would have preferred it if they'd at least made the bun square no i don't know that sounds wrong it just looks weird a square square not even a patty a square thing in a round bun i don't know it tastes good though it doesn't taste good well so seb took a bite out of it and he goes the taste is actually quite nice it's just the texture that's off so you saying now it didn't taste good is a lie because you did tell me it tastes good it didn't taste as good as any other burger on the menu I don't know, there's some pretty rancid burgers on the menu. Are there? What's... The veggie burger's definitely okay, worse I guess. than that. I haven't tried that. You but... don't want to try that. Yeah, I'm not going to be revisiting the fillet of fish. We, just, we talked about doing an episode on it at some point, and I'm glad we didn't, because I've run out of things to say about it after about two and a half minutes. So, I think the thing with fillet of fish, when I was a kid, I was vegetarian for, like, probably about eight, nine years of my life. Yeah, you were still vegetarian when we first met. When we first met, I was... And for probably the first six months, maybe? Maybe less almost, than that? Yeah, the first six months sounds about right. So I was vegetarian for a long time, and, well, pescatarian, 
and that would be like the thing that if I ever got on McDonald's, which I didn't really get very often, I would get that. So for me, it's just like the taste of childhood. I remember my mum, my mum doesn't really like fast food, but she would always get a fillet of fish. And I feel like there's just something comforting in that. It's just something that it's nice for a place to have that continuously on their menu from when I was like just born to like, do you know what I mean? For a long period of time. Yeah. It's like Wimpy's. It's like when they took Wimpy's away. Have you noticed that you can take any topic and turn it into a conversation about nostalgia? Yeah, because I love nostalgic things. Um, I'd say it's fair to say that you and me have got very different attitudes towards food. I think for me, food was one of the main things in my childhood. Like, a weird memory that I remember having is I used to love food as a kid. I wasn't even a big kid, like, I just loved food. So I'd go to my dad's for tea, have dinner, and then I'd get back to mum's, and mum's would be, mum would be like, oh, did you have dinner at dad's? And I'd be like, no, I didn't have dinner at dad's. She'd be like, oh, okay, I'll make you something then. And me thinking, haha, I tricked her. Sort of a sixth in the sin situation. Yeah, I just loved food. Um. So how do you think the the role of food in the movie relates to your own life? I think when when I was a kid, like, we were one of those families, you know, I grew up with my mum being single. She had boyfriends, but, like, it was me and my yeah, mum. a single parent. Yeah, so, obviously, we we struggled for money, like, quite a bit. Like, I remember having a lot of, you know, working-class dinners, like, you'd have beans on toast quite a bit. You'd have a lot of stuff where you wouldn't necessarily get loads of vegetables from it. I'd have, like, liver and bacon and mash, and I'd always think it was the most disgusting meal ever. And, like, our fucking Fray Bento's pies. And, like, even when I went to my dad's, like... My dad worked as a cook most of his life until he got made redundant. So when he came back from work, like, he never used to really enjoy cooking because he had done it all day at work. So he'd always come back and we'd have, like, a Fray Bento's pie or, like... Do you remember those things that you used to put in the toaster? They were pancakes. Yeah, we tried some once and it tasted They were horrible. rancid. But I remember having those all the time where you'd put them in the microwave and they'd have, like cheese and ham or like steak like beef and onion yeah like i had a lot of i had a lot of kind of almost northern yeah food so when it starts off in the beginning of the film where they're having like the kind of gross food kind of reminds me of like you know when you like when people grew up and they had like pretty shit food and the progression kind of made it feel like my life progression, now I've got a job and I can provide for us, we can have, like, nice food. And although the food that I had as a kid was nice, like, I was probably fucking loving it. Yes, you got more control over the food. Yeah, and, like, I can go to farmer's markets, get fresh produce, you know, support local businesses and stuff. Do you think you'd have the same sort of um, passion for food? If it wasn't for, I guess, movies like this and Scooby-Doo and Chef? I don't... It's hard because I remember the thing... The, like, thing that I look forward to the most in the year would be birthdays 
and me and mum would bake in the kitchen and make cakes and stuff. And I remember my grandma, every birthday I'd make her a cake. And I have this specific memory of one birthday, I made her a cake and it was a Victoria sponge and it had raspberries in it and it also had mint in the cream. And I remember doing it completely by eye and it turned out and it was like the most glorious cake ever and I remember it being so good and I remember my grandma just like being like this is one of the best cakes I've ever eaten and I think my relationship with food probably stems from the fact I had a grandma who loved to kind of feed me up like I'd go to my grandma's after school or like I'd go my grandma would pick me up from school pretty much every day and we'd go and have a Mars bar on the field and for some reason that memory was just always stuck with me. The fact that she'd make me like golden savoury rice, Tesco's value pasta cheeses as like a snack when I got home from school and she'd feed me loads of ginger biscuits till I felt really sick. Yeah. Just feed me Mars bars. So I think for me food was like the one thing that everyone... It was a way of connecting people and I think that's the main thing about food is it does connect people and I guess you th- is that kind of what you take away from this movie yeah I feel like I feel like maybe it isn't a movie about food but I feel like how heartwarming it and stuff it is it connotes the feeling to, of me of food like I find food a very comforting thing and it was heartwarming, you know, he wanted to provide for the people that he loved, the kids that he loved. Yeah. And he was doing that by feeding them well, taking them out and stuff, and being, like, kind of an icon to them. But I think your relationship with food as a kid was very different. Yeah, I, I don't really have any strong food-based memories beyond a really cool birthday cake I had when I was, like, four or maybe five. It was um, a rocket, and one of the cakes was a star or a moon maybe, and it had a thick layer of icing over the top. And I remember we had a birthday party at McDonald's, and the next day I ate the moon for breakfast. Uh, but that's the only real food memory I have as a kid, and even now, as an adult, I don't think I necessarily care about food at all. No, and I wonder how many people feel that way as well, because like even when I first met you as a student, food for me has always been like the centre of everything like I always I like planning week shops my main vice is food shopping yeah like even back when we first met food was still like what I cared about I would I would google food recipes as I'd say the place I was at in terms of food was that it was something I'd need to keep me going um I used to have sort of my mission going into Tesco every week would be £10 and that's going to be all the money I spend on everything I eat for the week. Which to me seems... It was doable when we were living in Falmouth. Yeah. But I think we were living on food that, like, you'd eat if you were really struggling with money. Well, neither of us were majorly struggling with money. But I guess I never saw food as something that was worth investing money in. But I think maybe that's why we took different stances from there. Yeah, maybe. Maybe in the same way that we took quite different readings from Garden State. In fact, I'd say this is actually weirdly kind of a even I comparison. Told you is that it was like I, Garden State. I see a lot more in Garden State for personal reasons and you see a lot more in Natural Libre for personal reasons. Yeah, I think 
I think something in Nacho Libra just touches me in the right spot. Because I was crying at the tour. That, yeah, but that doesn't mean anything anymore. <laughs> As we can tell, I've cried in... I reckon I've cried in every single episode we've done. Legitimately, I've probably cried in every single episode. But it's just nice. It's just nice. A man doing stuff because for love. He loves these kids. He wants to give them better opportunities. And he does what he does to give them better opportunities. Um, so I guess to round things out, I mean, I think I've maybe seemed a bit hard on the movie, but I did enjoy it. It was good. Um, I still stand by the soundtrack being, being the best part of it. But overall, I would say it was a good movie. And although I don't think it's a great movie, and I don't think it's a movie that I personally would remember 15 years after it first came out, it's I, I enjoyed watching it, and that's a lot more than, than I can say for... I guess, how we've all felt about episodes that we've done. I think the thing with it is it's not a great movie, and I know that, but I can't help loving that. It, it's I can't help loving it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think. Do you reckon it's the non-great movies that stay with people for pers- when it's for personal reasons? I reckon so. But then Short Term 12, there's no denying that's a great yeah, movie, and that true. has stuck with me. Yeah, maybe I'm sort of grasping at straws there. Um, Even Louder Than Bombs, that stuck with me. I still remember the title. Yeah, And that was a good film. That was really good, yeah. What would you give Natural Libre out of 10? I think, for me, for personal reasons, I'd give it a 9. Do you think as high as a 9? But I'd say, in terms of, as a film, I'd give it a 7. Yeah. Like, I'm fully aware it's not the best of what it is. But it's not often that comedies can kind of touch... I would compare it to The Week Of. And I know I compare everything to The Week Of. But legitimately, The Week Of got me... It touched me in the same place as Nacho Libra. I loved that film. It was so heartwarming. It's nice to have a film that makes you feel nice inside. Um, I think I'm leaning towards like a strong six... No. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think seven. No, because my criteria for seven is I liked it and it was, like, good. Whereas I'd say this one, I I fairly liked it and I thought it was, like, okay. Which I think warrants Mm. a six. I think it's a seven. In terms of general ratings, I think it's a seven. In terms of its importance to my life, I'd give it a nine. So where would you rank it among sort of some of the other subjects we've covered on the show? Because I'm thinking I'd maybe put it just above Watsky. Oh, God, I'd put it way above Watsky. Where would you sort of put it in terms of things we've talked about? I would put it above all the films that we've watched on this yeah. on this podcasting place. We, where would you put it compared to uh, the song July? Because I think out of everything that we've talked to, that's probably Ooh. your highest rated out of any what was, of the What things. did I rate that? I don't know, probably a 10. Mate, I'd say this is encroaching on July territory. Do you think? Yeah. It is like a hot summer's day. It is like a hot summer's day. And imagine a hot summer's day and the night is cold. And the feeling of when it's been a really hot day. But the night is super, super cold. And you're thinking, what a time to be alive. Whereas I'd put... 
any of the other movies, like if you've ever lied on a leather couch but you've been naked or butt naked and you stick, that's what I would compare the other films to. That horrible being stuck to a sofa and not being able to pry yourself off. I mean, it's not a situation that I find myself in very often, but, you know, we've all been there and it's not very pleasant. I guess that's where we're going to leave this episode. Um, it's been a weird one. I think out of every episode, we've spent the least amount of time talking about the thing we were talking about. But I feel like Nacho Libra is more than a film. It's a feeling. Put that on a T-shirt. I would definitely wear that T-shirt. Nacho Libra is more than a film. It's a feeling. It is a feeling. It's a feeling of being proud of yourself and what you've accomplished, what you do to help other people. And I'm not going to discredit it for that, because I think it's a good film, and I think it's got a good message, and I think it's got a lot to say. So in the last episode, whilst plugging The Rambling Bookshelf, I made a joke describing their audio levels as being very low and that you'd have to jack your headphones way up. Um, I now realise it was kind of a snide comment. It, it didn't come across mean-spirited in my head. But the thing is, a joke is only a joke if both parties are in on it. If only one party is in on it, it's just bullying. (laughs) And if there's one thing that we don't stand for on this show, it's bullying. I'd like to also put across that when me and Seb first got together, his opening line to um, me swiping yes on his Tinder account was... I only swiped yes because we have the same album in in the background. And I thought, this guy is a prized C-O-C-K. And I think Seb's quite hard to read, like he's got quite a dry sense of humour. And I think sometimes in his head something sounds like a joke, but it's actually the world's most unfunny joke in the world. And he has taken it too far this time with saying that someone's audio quality is really bad we'd like to plug the rambling bookshelf for actually being an interesting youtube account where well thought out not us that just makes it up on the fly like they are good and i appreciate what they do because although me and seb can sit and watch a movie that takes an hour and a half reading a book is fucking hard like i i legit haven't read a book in probably about five years so if you take any of our call to actions, apart from tweeting, hashtag... Get Lewis Capaldi, Lewis Capaldi out of the ...industry plant. Um, go subscribe to them on YouTube and watch their videos. I'd say a good place to start. I believe it was the Northern Lights. Uh, they, they put out a video. It wasn't quite a review. I think it was more just sort of a Q&A, answering questions, what each other thought about it. I think that's a good place to start, even if you haven't read the book, because I think it's a less strict format. And they've told me, Saf and Laura have also told me that the channel isn't just going to be about reviewing books. It's about all things book related. It's going to be about like what mediums people use to read books, like different questions and stuff book related, books that are coming out, probably book adaptations. Like it's about loads of stuff and I guess it's a bit more general than what we're doing which is just talking shit about a lot of stuff. However, although we've retracted this statement, we do not want you to think that any other statements made in the show are a joke. The foundation to get Tom a better pair of glasses is a serious movement, and we would like it taken seriously. 
And also, we want Tom to feel free to send us his prescription. So for Christmas, we can get him a £6 pair of glasses, which are 100% better quality than the ones he's currently wearing. Tom is a good man. We're proud of him. He is a firefighter now. We're proud of him. You know, you might say, oh, look at that fucking librarian on the streets. But you can bet he's a mean beast in the... In a blaze. In the Costa streets. You bet if your cat was on fire, Tom would legit probably kick it over to put it out. This is a good guy we're talking about. We're talking about, as a kid, one of the main memories I remember is my auntie daring me to sit in the kids' swings at the park. Bear in mind I was a chunky kid. And on three separate fucking occasions, I did it got stuck and my auntie ran away and left me and one occasion the firefighters were called one occasion a woman of the age of 65 at least had to pull me out of the swing and the other occasion I just cried and threw a massive hissy fit but all jokes aside my house was involved in a fire when I was a young kid And the firefighters really did, you know, do a good job. We didn't lose any dogs or cats. You know, they're good guys. Um, So next episode is my turn to pick. I've been bouncing back and forwards in my head. Um, We're going to be watching Peep Show. Which I think could bring me round to it. Um, I think we discussed Peep Show like at the very beginning when we were going through episodes. I don't think we've done any of the episodes we talked about doing. Um, but I'm going to make it happen. We're going to watch three episodes of Peep Show. Hopefully it's still on Netflix. If not, I've got the first five series on DVD. Is more than five? Yeah, it's nine. Oh, my God. It's Channel 4's longest-running sitcom. Unfortunate. So until then, um, stay tuned. Watch Naturally Ray if you haven't watched it in a while. It's worth watching. Check out The Rambling Bookshelf and set fire to your kitchen for fun. Um, tweet at Lewis Capaldi or tweet about Lewis Capaldi. Or shout mean things at him in the street. And have a good day. Or a good evening. Or a good night. Always have a good night. The show's opening theme song Bicycle Weather, as well as its closing song Even Pinker, performed by Pickle Darling. The album Bigness is available now on Z-Tapes Records. You also had an extract from the song Singing at the Party from Nacho Libre, music from the motion picture. <laughs>